Thinking aloud. Conversations on the leading edge of knowledge and discovery with psychologist Jeffrey Mishlove. Hello and welcome. I'm Jeffrey Mishlove. I'm very happy to have a live guest today with me here in our little studio in Albuquerque. I'm going to have an open-ended conversation, I think for the second time, with Lynn Buchanan. Lynn is the author of The Seventh Sense. He is also the president of Problems, Solutions, Innovations, PSI, an organization involved in training, remote viewing, very specifically the CRV approach to remote viewing. Welcome, Lynn. It's a great pleasure to be with you once oh, again. It's my pleasure. Thank you very much for having me here. To begin with, let's define for our viewers who may not know, what is CRV as compared to other forms of remote viewing? Okay. Remote viewing is basically psychic work, okay? And for most psychics, they're sort of at the mercy of their own subconscious mind that they get what they get. Controlled remote viewing, CRV, is a methodology that was developed first by a man named Ingo Swan and then used and further developed at uh, Stanford Research Institute and then further developed in the military because it gives you control, it gives the viewer control over the remote viewing. So a lot of people think that controlled remote viewing means the government controls the remote viewer. No, it's the remote viewer has control over their, over their viewing. And that's what controlled remote viewing means. And you've been teaching CRV. I, I remember taking a course from you uh, well over 30 years ago. Oh man, I'm getting old. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Let's see. I've been teaching first in the military and then, uh, um, while this was still classified after I got out of service uh, for police departments and different agencies in the government. And then once it be de became declassified, teaching to the public for good grief, close to 40 years now, I guess. I'm getting older than I realized. <laughs> well, that gives you a perspective. Yeah, uh -huh, yeah. You've watched the field from its infancy grow over many decades, and, and I think yeah. it would be fair to say you've observed some changes. Quite a few, yeah. Uh, the improvements, while Inca was alive, any improvements that we made, first of all, we tested them rigorously, scientifically, over and over to see if they were successful. Because not every good idea is really a good idea. <laughs> you know, we had a lot of really fantastic ideas that just didn't work. But if they worked, then we would take them by Ingo and get his approval. Once Ingo passed away, we didn't have that ability. But still, um, there are advances being made as we learn more things 
as we find more applications for them. For example, the um, the police applications, we used different techniques and all that than we did for the military. The medical applications. Uh, uh, these days I'm involved in quite a bit of um, space research. And uh, those use different mental tools than than police work, military work, and all that. Um, so as the new applications come in, we find different ways to use the Ingus-Swan method, and it requires some modification, but we still stay as strictly as we can to the Ingus-Swan method because it works. And uh, one rule is, if it works, don't fix it. <laughs> if I recall correctly, Ingo died in 2013. Believe so. Yeah, uh-huh, yeah. So it's been like about nine years where about nine years. Yeah, you are probably you know, certainly one of the senior living people from the original generation of remote viewers. Well, that's true. Yeah, and um, uh, two or three of us are teaching the military method. Uh, each one of us has students who are then teaching the military method. Um, I'm teaching the military method. Further, I think, than anyone else, um, we're developing, uh, uh, for example, uh, Inga Swan had developed what he called the timeline, where you can set uh, the beginning of a line at the beginning of the year, the end of the line at the end of the year, and then you feel along it to find out where an event happened in that year. Well, you can also use that for measuring things, uh, one foot to ten feet, find out what the length of something is. You can also use it for the range of things. And we have found that doing this, we can then say, tell me the range of religious beliefs within a society. Now, tell me the range of educational abilities within a society, and we can do a demographic of a whole society. Then, uh, one of the things we use in training, uh, back in the 1800s, the uh, Mormons left Salt Lake to go up to Canada. A uh, sect of the Mormons did. And um, we know the history of it. And we have the remote viewers uh, train on known demographics until they get accurate at it. And then we can take the Mormons and their demographic, the Canadians at the time and their demographic, lay one over the other. Where they don't match, that's an area of conflict. Where they do match, that's an area of cooperation. And we can do this with societies. We can do it with uh, corporations, when one corporation takes over another. We can do it with um, just all kinds of uh, things where you have one person or, or one demographic 
associating with another. And um, whether you believe it or not, there are aliens on the earth. Okay? And um, they're going to filter into society. We have learned a method to predict where the conflicts are going to be, where the cooperation is going to be, where there will be cooperation and all that. And um, we've already done this for some space research organizations. Uh, one organization who is actively training astronauts right now. Uh, and uh, we have taken trained remote viewers uh, tasked with the end destination of where they're planning to go to find out if there is life there uh, that's intelligent. And um, the system they're going to has uh, seven planets. And on one of the planets, we found a moderate civilization, not advanced, but a moderate one. And we did the demographics to overlay it so that the astronauts can go there, know where the conflicts will be so that they don't make some stupid mistake and start an interplanetary war, you know. <laughs> and the State Department does this for uh, diplomats. Mm -hmm. They have the area books. Uh, a diplomat is getting sent to a country. Hey, you study that country's demographics before you go there. Well, I, I've always understood that this is the sort of thing that the CIA and the intelligence yeah. agencies do, be, uh, sociological demographic analysis. To well, this is my background, and uh, so, yeah. I hadn't ever known that remote viewers were capable of doing something that abstract. At the advanced level, mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, most of the training for remote viewing out there is... Um, training you to be psychic. Uh, the training for CRV trains you to do the controlled work that was done in the military, and you use it for applications, for, uh, for corporations, for police work, for medical work, and all this. Um, but for the uh, most advanced stuff, we have very few people in the civilian sector who have actually gone that far. Um, the team that I have, the number of students that I have who have gone that far are actually less than about 10. Yeah, but you should see the work they do. So they're functioning as, as both as remote viewers and as, as analysts of intelligence analysts, it yeah. would seem. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. Now I need to jump back okay. because you talked about. It sounded like you were talking about interstellar space travel to visit other planets outside of our solar system. There are those corporations who are very quietly doing that already. Uh, at least making plans for it, yeah. Mm -hmm. well, and they need this information. This is news to me because... Well, and actually, if the if and when the aliens do filter into our society, our government needs it too. Yeah. They really do. 
Well, and naturally, there are rumors about aliens infiltrating our society going back to the 1950s. Sure. Yeah. But it's done in secret. At the time when it actually becomes public, uh, you've got a tremendous demographic among humans that's not going to be happy with that. And you need to know that demographic. Because if you don't, there's going to be problems. Sure. It's understandable that uh, people would normally find something like that threatening. You just have to watch science fiction movies to see the potential for that. Yeah. And in the process, you know, we can do a demographic in the southern U.S., the northern U.S., and the middle and California and all that. And in doing that, we can actually predict... When they filter into our society publicly, where are they going to settle? Because they're not going to settle in the areas of conflict. One would hope. One would hope, yeah. (laughs) And so uh, we can actually predict where they're going to settle, what problems there will be, and all that. And uh, we have, like I say, about 10 people who have the ability and the training and the experience to do this with great accuracy. And and I'm assuming we're talking about a level of analysis much more sophisticated than what you were working on when you were in the military. Oh, yeah. Yeah. In the military, we were doing, uh, you know, spy work, intelligence gathering. Uh, Most of the stuff you see on the Internet, um, well, at the conference, I showed that slide, This is remote viewing. And this one person put this scribble of circles like this. And that was their entire remote viewing session. And along with it, they said, the target was the Eiffel Tower. I aced it. (laughs) Come on, that's not remote viewing. (laughs) I have to assume that person was, was trying to be funny or something. No, they weren't. They were serious. Yeah, and this is a lot of the remote viewing that you find on the Internet. And the sad part is there are a lot of people on the Internet who are training to that level and charging people money for it. And no, that's that's just wrong, you know. Well, to go back to the process uh, in, that you're using here, you mentioned a group of Mormons, I assume in the uh, 19th century probably, yeah, uh-huh. who who went up to Canada from yeah. Salt Lake. Or, and we know we know from history the conflicts they had. The and and we take those people who are trained to be accurate in doing the demographics and. We check because historically we know the demographics. Historically we know that demographics and we know the conflicts. And this way by training them on feedbackable information, we can tell how accurate they are. Once they establish an accuracy rating, a dependability rating, then we can say, okay, we know you're this dependable. Now, let's take a situation that hasn't happened yet. And, you know, uh, and let's say they're 70% dependable. 
Okay, we know with 70% dependability where the conflicts are going to be and, and such as that, you know. And no. this is only one application of the controlled remote viewing, but it's an advanced one, yeah. So, from your perspective, the field is growing in sophistication. Oh, definitely. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. And I know one of the things that you do with the remote viewers who are trained in uh, CRV, the particular method that you teach, you keep a database. Oh, definitely. Oh, yeah. The The database, you know, we tend to forget unpleasant things. And so people tend to forget their bad sessions. And uh, and you do a remote viewing session, and you hand it over to somebody, and it's total garbage. They'll say, "Oh yeah, well, well, this was right, and you did, you did, yeah, you did well, and all that." No, a database is going to tell you the truth about yourself and about your work, and uh, your friends will lie in favor to you. The people who are debunkers and all that, they will lie against you. The database is going to tell you the truth. And uh, and so, yeah, we database everything. So you know the strengths and weaknesses of any particular viewer. That's right. And uh, each viewer has certain strengths and weaknesses. Like one may be able to really tell you shapes and relationships or something like that with great accuracy, and yet you ask them about the color of something, and <laughs> they suck at it. You know, they're really bad. And you know this from the database. And so you get a um, police case, and they say, give me the color of the car. I look in the database, and I find out who's good at colors. I don't text the guy that's bad at colors. And so by cherry-picking the remote viewers toward the information that's needed, we can have an extremely higher rate of dependability and success. Yeah. And well, that's on the database. It, doesn't it presume, though, that there's a certain amount of stability over time for each remote viewer that if, if, if they're, for example, not good at colors last week, uh, this would be true to this week? Not always. Um, there is, there is variability, of course, uh, with different moods, different, you know, different whatevers. But, um, it generally winds up being stable. Um, you know, it, it it averages out. Now, 10 sessions, it's a pot shot. Yeah. You get somebody with a 1,000 remote viewing sessions, oh, yeah, that database is going to show you the average, and it's going to show you what they're good at, what they're not good at, and all that. I, th I think in psychology, they make the distinction between traits, meaning a long-term right. trend, and states, meaning right. short-term variability. Yeah, uh-huh. Yeah. So you take the same approach. With oh, yeah. Remote viewers. Yeah, because, you know, today I might do a great session. Tomorrow I may be mad at something or or feeling sick or whatever. And, and you know, it's total garbage. Both of those go into the database. And uh, along with inf other filtering information. And the database says, hey... When you're sick, don't do a session. You know, 
Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so, uh, it not only tells what a person is good and bad at, what their strengths and weaknesses are, but it also tells them what kind of work, what kind of targets they're best at, what kind they're weakest at, and, uh, what conditions they do their best work at. So, on the one hand, you're seeing a small group, 10, you've suggested, a very advanced remote viewers yeah. who, who can do this sophisticated work. And on the other hand, when you look out at the public at large, it sounds like what, what you're seeing is a lot of pretenders out there. I don't think intentional pretenders, but yeah, pretenders, yeah. And I know there are a lot of people out there advertising that they train CRV. And I've looked at their manuals, and it has nothing whatever to do with CRV. But And you tell them, and they say, oh, I thought CRV was any remote viewing. They don't know. Because over the years, there have been many, I guess you call it branches or, or oh, yeah. schisms yeah. That, that, that occur, which is true of almost any sure. uh, philosophical or religious or sociological yeah. movement. They, they do tend to branch out. Yeah. Uh, like one of our one of my students has branched out, but he specializes in uh, art theft and art theft and finding the art and finding the thief and all that um, for insurance companies who are willing to pay big money for art, you know, for, for retrieving art. Um, that takes special techniques and he is specialized in that to the point where he's not even interested in finding missing children or anything like that and so he is specialized in that and that has become a branch of remote viewing yeah, of CRV and and so what you're discovering is that for people who are particularly skilled and who are specialists in one area mm-hmm. or another there's a market for their services oh yeah yeah uh-huh now, uh, there's still the stigma of the that four-letter word, psychic, you know, and, and that's still the stigma. Uh, but, um, but yeah, um, most of these CRVers who are highly trained and qualified, you don't hear from them. Uh, for one thing, they're working for organizations, uh, corporations and all that with non-disclosure agreements. Mm-hmm. Most of the remote viewing you hear about on the Internet is where some group gets together and they read about a missing kid in the paper and they and they do their sessions and then they publish it on the Internet and all this. And... Um, and some of them are very good. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not putting them down. Some of them are very good. But uh, that should be given to the police. That shouldn't be put out on the Internet. That should be given to the police, you know, and uh, given to the police and then keep quiet about it until after the case is solved. And so there is a um, thing... Uh, One of the parts of controlled remote viewing is not only professionalism and 
stay, you know, staying stripped to the science, but ethics, um, and uh, in in the courses that I think all of our CR qualified CRV trainers teach, we teach ethics and professionalism. Well. It's understandable to me that many clients, because of the stigma that you've already spoken about, uh, want these non-disclosure agreements. If if you're a corporation, you don't necessarily want to publicize that you're working with psychics or or, or remote viewers. It's just going to generate a lot of uh, unhelpful noise. That's right, yeah. On the other hand, if you're ethically concerned... You don't want to allow the use of secrecy to protect people who might be using your information for, let's say, illegal purposes. Right. Mm-hmm. And this is one of the problems you have uh, in, you know, somebody comes to you and wants to know some information. You you really have to be careful. Uh, they They want to know something about a person. I'm sorry, but why do you want to know that? You know, do you have a grudge against that person? You want to find them and bump them off? No, you know, and you have one corporation that comes and wants to know about another corporation. I'm sorry, that's industrial espionage. We don't do that. Uh, You know, and so you have ethics. Ethics plays a very big, important part. Yeah. Would do you, for example, use remote viewing on potential clients to determine whether they would be a good fit for you? Personally, uh, I I sort of get a feeling about it. Um, In the military, we had the constraint that um, it was against the law in the military for us to... uh, collect intelligence information on U.S. citizens without congressional approval. And the congressional approval had to be for extremely good reasons that were provable. And so I've just sort of carried that into my own personal thing. Um, I, I don't like spying on people without good reason. Um if the if the police want to know you know about a criminal then i think that's probably a good reason if a person wants to know about their wife no you know that's that's not good reason no I would imagine, though, in this field where you have a lot of people studying remote viewing, I'm, yep. I'm guessing over 10,000 oh, yeah. people are, are beginners. They're, they are uh, taking courses. They're hoping to have a profession as, as a remote viewer. Yeah. Uh-huh. Many of them are. And uh, somebody comes along and says, I'm willing to pay you to, to do uh, X, Y, Z. They're probably very happy that uh, that they have a, a gig. About two years ago, there was a uh, guy that uh, started hiring remote viewers for off the Internet and all that. Come to find out, uh, 
he was a crook, and he was using it for crooked means, and a lot of people got burned. Yeah. That's one example. I think it's fairly well known now within the remote viewing community. But I imagine that that was a blatant case. I'm pretty sure that that individual is now in jail. Yeah. But there are many other cases where somebody comes to hire you and they're willing to pay and who knows who they are. Yeah, I know. And this is why I I fact check. Uh, Like I say, I carry over the thing. One of the things is when you access a person mentally, uh, you may go in to find out certain information, but you get a whole lot more personal information than you go in seeking. And um, I just find it displeasant. Uh, I don't like to get into other people's minds. I just don't like doing that. Mm -hmm. And so uh, if there is a time when, uh, when I do get a bad feeling about somebody, um, I will fact check, and there have been times when I've just, you know, basically gone to my wife and said, I don't know about this, and she says, then don't do it, and I don't do it, yeah. And to jump around a little bit, you mentioned the conference that oh, we yeah. were we were both at yeah. recently it's the international remote viewing association yeah. uh-huh. and uh, at that conference i learned even even though i've been attending their meetings from almost the very beginning in fact i think i was at the first conference but the organizational meeting took place in your home yeah it, i was one of the founding members in fact uh, uh one other person that has has bowed out, um, and I were setting up the meeting. He was very wealthy, and uh, he wanted to start a university that would be for the mind, you know, mind science. And uh, one of the departments was going to be the controlled remote viewing department. And uh, at that meeting, uh, there were there was some conflict among the people who were there, and they decided, no, I'm going to make an organization instead. And so he and his money basically walked out. And that's how the IRBA started. Uh, otherwise, it would have been a university, you know. Well, a university wouldn't have been a bad thing, but... It had been a great thing. Uh, at the same time, a... Remote viewing organization is has now been active and functioning right. and, and doing good work. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. They publish a, uh, a well. I wouldn't call it quite a journal, but it's a a very substantial newsletter. Yeah. Uh huh. And uh, I would think for people who are viewing this interview, for example, who are serious about remote viewing, uh, I would encourage them to uh, join. Absolutely. IRVA, International Remote Viewers Association, it's IRVA.org. It is, listen, if you want information about remote viewing, 
that is good, dependable information, and you want to get it off the Internet, IRVA.org. That's your best source. It really is. They have an annual conference and uh, many other activities. But nevertheless, in the remote viewing community, CRV is not the only approach. There, There are, I think it's fair to say, competing schools of thought. Which should be cooperating schools of thought, but yeah, there's competition. And, uh, you know, uh, there's the tendency to say, my way is the only way, and all that. No, um, controlled remote viewing is a highly technical method that gives highly technical results. That's not always necessary. Uh, and, and like for some of the things, uh, what a normal psychic get in five minutes, we may take three weeks to get the same information with probably higher accuracy and more detail. And yet that higher accuracy or that, that greater detail isn't always necessary. And so, yeah, um, And in fact, one of the things that you have to realize that most people don't is that controlled remote viewing was never meant for psychics. It was developed by Inga Swan for the military so that they could grab a soldier off of the battlefield, teach him to do this work, send him back to his company, and he could tell his commander what was over the hill when the enemy was coming, where to point the guns and all that. And it was meant to teach non-psychic people how to do the work of a good psychic. It was never meant for natural psychics. But if you're in a battlefield situation, you don't have three weeks to do a, a very detailed CRV process. Which is exactly why they finally gave up that idea and formed a unit where we would work as a team for the different three-letter organizations, for the different military organizations and all that, yeah. And that process lasted, to my recollection, about 20 years. That's right, yeah. Roughly 1973 to 1996 or so. 1994, I think it was, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, yeah. Something like that. Something like that. It's it, it's hard to be precise because the, these things have fuzzy boundaries. They do. Uh, the The unit was disbanded seven times. And uh, seven times they would come in and they'd say, we're disbanded and all this. You know, we don't exist anymore. The next day they would come in with a different set of rubber stamps and say, okay, here's the new unit you're in. <laughs> and we would keep on. Uh, you know, people would find out who we were and we were a black unit. And, uh, um, and so people ask me now, is it still happening well, I'm retired. They don't tell me anything anymore, yeah. you know, and I I hope it is. 
I don't know. But in, in any case, it's now into the public sector. It's into the public sector now. Practically every thing, well, let me put it this way, over, I think, a million pages of research studies yeah. and actual operations have now been declassified. Yeah. Uh -huh. There were 20, 30 books out. And uh, Ingo Swan's material and a bunch of uh, of the other historic material is now at the University of Georgia and at Rice University. Mm -hmm. And in fact, uh, all of my non-classified material that I took with me, all of my non-classified sessions and all that, as I was learning from day one all the way until I retired from the military, uh, Rice University is now asking me for that for their archives. Well, it's wonderful that they're willing to uh, preserve this material. It's a very important piece of history that would otherwise be lost. It really is. And they're realizing now the uh, the efficacy of it and also the importance of it. I know when this first became declassified, it was a big joke. Uh, I would be interviewed on radios, you know, radio shows and all that. And it was just one jab after another, you know, well, if you're psychic, why ain't you rich? You know, all this other stuff, you know. And uh, and now then, they're not making fun of it anymore because we've proven ourselves. And, you know, in the military, we didn't have a contract that went over a year. For all those 20 years, we had to prove ourselves to the Congress and to the military every year in order to get funded for another year. But at some point around 95, 96, the military officially, uh, at least publicly, shut it all down. Shut it all down, yeah. Uh -huh. And, uh, of course, that was also uh, shortly after the end of the Cold War. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, to my understanding, though, there there were people in Congress who felt that uh, this is uh, potentially diabolic. Oh, yeah. There were a lot of people uh, who felt it was the devil. And uh, there were other people who realized if you have control remote viewers, you don't have secrets anymore. And for a lot of politicians, that's diabolical. <laughs> that's evil. Yeah, I want my secrets. You know, we're not just politicians. I think it's true of people. People. Period. Uh, yeah. You, you, nobody wants you know some stranger to read their mind. No, and I understand that. And in fact, uh, this is when I say you know I find it very distasteful to do that. And in the military, we could not spy on U.S. citizens. Now, if you weren't a U.S. citizen, you were fair game. And, uh, you know, they had me going into Saddam Hussein's mind, finding the plans and intentions for the next day of battle, uh, just about on a daily basis. I find it, first of all, the man was crazy, but I find it, very distasteful. I always have. Well, I think when it comes to spy work or criminology work... You have uh, to do it. Uh, it takes a particular personality 
Not, not everybody is going to find it as distasteful as you do. And that bothers me, too. <laughs> I think they should. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there are psychics who specialize in solving murder cases. And it means, you know, living through the uh, experience of murdering somebody. And and I would find that incredibly distasteful. But for Very. other people, it's a specialty. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I don't see how they do it. Um, in the CRV, we teach observe, don't partake. Uh, describe, don't identify, and don't identify with. And so when you go into a case like that, you uh, you don't task them with the murderer. You task them with the event of the murder. They observe it. Describe the person who did it, but don't get into that person's mind. You, you, you don't want to get, no, that's, that's not good. But, but sometimes, I think even in your own experience, things happen spontaneous. They do, yeah. We've talked about this in a previous interview. I, I, we, in the way it was couched back then is the distinction between remote viewing and bilocation. That's right, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and in the bilocation, uh, the bilocation, according to Ingo, was where your mind is at the target and at the viewing table at the same time. So you're experiencing both at the same time. Beyond that, there is a thing that I call perfect sight integration, PSI. And that is your mind is totally at the site. You're experiencing it. You cannot tell that you're not there. And the viewing table doesn't exist for you anymore. The monitor speaks to you. You can't hear it. You're not there. And um, with that experience, if it's, you know, if it's a target site and it's the Taj Mahal or, or, or the county fair or something like that, it's great. If it's a murder case... Oh, yeah. It can get bad. Yeah. This is not a toy. It's really not a toy. Well, sometimes we get so deeply into a, a scene that we forget where we came from. That's right. I mean, you, it happens to people in the movie theater. Oh, yeah. You you forget yourself. You buy you, into it. You buy, yeah. I often think that even right now as we're conducting this interview, am I really here or is this just a, uh, a, a dream or a you know, fantasy scenario of some kind that feels real? Yeah, uh-huh. Chang Su, the Chinese philosopher, said, I dreamt I was a butterfly, or am I a butterfly dreaming that I am now Chang Su? Yeah. Well, in the military, you know, we'd say, you know, uh, we'd have one of these PSI experiences, and it was real, you know, but but was it really real? And the answer was, well, where were you? Oh, I was in, I was in... Hong Kong. Did you get paid mileage? <laughs> if you didn't get paid mileage, then it was in your mind. <laughs> yeah, but it could have nevertheless been authentic. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Now, since we're talking about this, it brings up the question of side effects of, of remote viewing. Yeah. 
Uh, and I know it, there are very few side effects, I think, but some of them can be serious. They can be very serious, yeah. Um, uh, in, in the case of violence, things like that, uh, uh, yeah, you experience that violence. Um, we have a detoxification process where you can rid yourself of the experience of the emotions and the emotional attachments and all that. Mm -hmm. But you still have the memory of it. And you live with that memory from then on, you know. Uh, and you ask any controlled remote viewer, and you say, you know, that, that time when you had the session about such and such, oh, yeah, I remember that. And they will go through the session it may have been 20 years ago, but the memory stays. And if that target was one of great violence and great horror, you can rid yourself of the emotional detachment. You can rid yourself of the um, the emotional results of it. But you still got the memory. It's still there. Which is true for uh, any... Uh, military person who's in a combat That's situation. Yeah. Uh -huh. But also, I'm under the impression that remote viewing is not particularly advisable for people who are, are dealing with emotional issues that, let's say, to the point where they're in psychotherapy. Oh, yeah. 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 Uh, you know, if you can't deal with yourself... Listen, the world is worse than you are. You don't want to deal with the world. <laughs> uh, the world can be very cruel out there, and it can be very chaotic, even more so than your inner self. And if a person has the inner chaos and the inner uh, unease, then, yeah, I know this remote viewing is not for everybody. It's really not. Do you have some sort of a uh, criteria by which you determine whether a person is suitable to become a student? I generally talk to a student before they sign up. Now, now that it's on the, you know, now that I'm teaching a course that is uh, in videos on the Internet, yeah. I don't get to talk to anybody before they sign up. Mm -hmm. But when I had classes, and especially if I still have a person come in to my home and all that, I'm going to have a good long talk with them before I ever teach them anything. And uh, probably, I would say a good 30 to 40 percent of the people who have ever come to me for training, I've talked them out of it. Mm -hmm. they, they shouldn't be doing this. Because I'm under the impression that many people go into this field for what, what I would call maybe improper motives. Yeah. They, they want to attract members of the opposite sex or... Well, or, you know, um, this is one thing, uh, I would say a large percentage of the uh, remote viewing that you hear of these days, Bitcoin, Bitcoin, you know, uh, Play the stock market. Play, make money, make money, yeah. and all that. And um, and they get so wrapped up in the money 
that they become ineffective as viewers and they don't make the money. And yet uh, you see people who have been doing this for 10 years and they're still losing money. And they're still, man, going after that dollar instead of going after the accuracy for the remote viewing, which would bring them the dollar if they did it. The people get caught up in this emotional. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so there are good reasons to warn people uh, about oh, the potential hazards. Absolutely, yes, and that should be done. Yeah. Some people would say ultimately it's a spiritual discipline. Uh, you know, Russell Targ says uh, it's a spiritual discipline that ultimately has practical uses. Yeah. yeah. And uh, one of the things you find is that when a person learns to actually interview their own subconscious mind and pay attention to what it says and report it accurately without interpretation, they become friends with themselves. And it does have a spiritual and a um, personality change. Um, Your subconscious mind is smarter than you are, It's faster than you are. It cares more about you than you do. And uh, if you can be friends with your own subconscious mind and learn to communicate with it, your life is going to change for the better. It really will. I've always said that uh, I've always felt. Now, you're a psychologist. You may laugh at this, that. A person who doesn't like themselves hasn't gotten to know themselves. They really don't know themselves uh, at their at their deepest level, their deepest essence. Yeah, their deepest essence. There's nothing to dislike about your own deepest essence. That's I right. think of it as a, a a powerful spiritual force filled with love. It is, yeah, and the uh, training in the CRV forces you to get in touch with your subconscious mind, pay attention to it, give it its own responsibilities and rights, and for the at least the period of when you begin that session and end that session, it is the boss. You are there as a note taker, and that's it. And once you learn to let your subconscious be the boss, and it learns that it has rights and responsibilities, that changes your life. It really does. And, and I'm sure in a positive way. In a positive way, it does, yeah. Well, I think one of the big messages of remote viewing, particularly since it emerged, as, as you have, out of the military, is, is that... Uh, this is an inborn talent that is accessible by everyone. X, it is accessible by everyone, but like you say, it's not for everyone. It's not for everyone. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. Much like uh, music or mathematics. Oh, yeah. Or, mm-hmm. uh, it, it's only for some people, and some people really would do themselves a big favor of, to avoid it completely. Uh, at least for the time being, but ultimately, by virtue of being a, a sentient, conscious being, that's right. Yeah. Uh, it's part of our birthright. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and we have not found anybody who can't do the remote viewing. Mm-hmm. We have found many people who won't. People who won't and other people who ought not to. Who ought not to, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Well, let's talk about your vision for the future of the field. Of the field. Um, for one thing, um, I think it's in its infancy. We're, in, we're still in kindergarten. Uh, there's still, it's like the field of hypnosis, okay? You're going to have your stage hyp, hypno, hypnotics or yeah, hypnotists, yeah. yeah, and uh, who are going to, I mean, their big deal is making you cluck like chickens or something like that. <laughs> then you're going to have those who use hypnosis for good, who do it professionally, and who do it responsibly with ethics. And uh, I've seen this grow over the last 20 years since this came out of the military. It was chaos, and it was a joke, and it was all these people doing all these things, and, you know, and uh, it has slowly grown to where it has bifurcated, to where you've got the the fluff that's on the Internet and the fluff that's, you know, just bogus and very quietly the professionals are becoming responsible they're become they're becoming quietly sought after uh most uh, one of the first things that when somebody you know contacts me can i talk to you in private without you t- you know yeah, uh-huh. Well, my company needs such and such, but we we can't fund psychics. And, you know, and, well, this isn't psychic. This is controlled remote viewing. Yeah, I know that, but if I bring it up to my boss, they won't fund it, you know. I say, well, let me talk to your boss, you know. And uh, And one of the first things I do... Um, is absolutely assure them we work with non-disclosure agreements and, uh, and we do it legally, you know, and also, um, well, when a corporation hires me to train a remote viewing team within their corporation, the very first thing I train is operations security. Not the remote viewing, operation security. Well, that's very interesting. So I didn't know that you've actually trained teams within particular companies. There are companies that want this and use it, uh-huh. but in total silence. Uh-huh. They don't want their competition saying, ah, a bunch of psychics over there, you know, uh-huh. and all that and making fun of them. And yeah, there's still a stigma. It's there. Yeah. You've also purchased a ranch in New Mexico. You have plans to set up a remote viewing ranch. A remote viewing ranch, not only for training remote viewing, but also research. Mm -hmm. Uh, And uh, the ranch is out in the middle of nowhere. No pollution, no air pollution, no sound pollution or anything else. And uh, beautiful area. And... uh, Great for training, great for research, uh, great for 
UFO watches, comet watches. Uh, we're hoping to have a little observatory out there and uh, do that work. Uh, <clears throat> also, the uh, research in remote viewing uh, to get further developments for more applications and all that, but also to find out more about the human mind. Uh, and, um, you know, there's interest in, I mean, things like life after death and all this. Well, can you do that in remote viewing? Yeah, but what's your dependability rate? Are you doing it? Are you finding your findings on your personal belief? Are you doing it scientifically because you have a good track record on accuracy? And, um, and things like that. We, we want to get highly, highly trained and experienced controlled remote viewers to, to do research into new applications, new fields of research and all that. And this will be the ideal place for it. We have, um, I can't afford to do this by myself. And so I've started a GoFundMe thing, which I don't know if it's going to take off or not. We'll put the link to your GoFundMe page in the description of this video. Okay, good. Mm -hmm. But the thing is, I'm 83 years old. And once we get this up in the way I want it, it's going to be 10 years from now at least. You know, it takes time to do these things. And uh, I'll be 93. So I'm not doing this for myself. I'm doing it for the research community, for the remote viewing community, for the uh, training and elevation of the remote viewing field. And so um, I'm really hoping it works. Uh, it's a beautiful place. It's the ideal place for it. And uh, like everything else, needs bunny. Sure. As I recall, it's near the White Sands uh, oh, yeah. National Park. Now. You can see White Sands National Park from it. Uh, uh, you can see um, uh, Tule Hill, which is where the VIPs go to watch the sled track experiments. And uh, I have an in there, so hopefully the classes that come Anytime they have a sled track experiment, uh, we can take the class up and let them. Now, we, we're talking about the sled track is where people are endeavoring to set new land speed records. They're hoping for Mach 10. Mm -hmm. They've gotten to Mach 9.6. And uh, uh, on the 9.6 attempt, uh, I was out there. It's. Highly classified area, you know, but I was out there and uh, I have access to it and I got to sign my name on the rocket that got to go 9.6, Mach 9.6 and, of course, hit hit a brick wall at the end because they had to stop the thing so it wouldn't go out across, you know, over into civilian territory. And uh, so it was totally demolished. But... Uh, yeah, I had the privilege of 
signing my name along with the engineers and everybody else who were who were on the project. Now, Mach 9.6, does that mean 9.6 times the speed of sound? Yes. Uh-huh. That's uh, very fast. It was the land speed record, fastest vehicle, fastest land vehicle in the history of mankind. Yeah. That is, well, it's impressive, but not as impressive as remote viewing. In many ways, is right. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, Lynn Buchanan, what a pleasure it has been to have this conversation with you. Oh, thank you. Listen, I I love seeing your home. I love being here. I love visiting you. I mean, whether we're on camera or not. I feel the same way, and you're welcome back anytime. Uh, Thank you very much. Happy to continue our conversations over and over and over again. Good. Good. Thank you. So, uh, thank you very much for being with me today, Lynn. Well, thank you for inviting me. And for those of you listening or watching, thank you for being with us. (laughs) 